The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 60. I hope you're doing well and uh, if you are struggling with OCD and anxiety, uh, you can head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and uh, there you can sign yourself up for a free session with me. Um, You can also find other resources and you can sign up to the newsletter and all that kind of thing. So in today's episode, I interviewed the wonderful and charming uh, Shannon Renzulli, who um, is a psychotherapist based out of Connecticut. She received her graduate education at Columbia University, where she obtained her first master's degree in clinical psychology and a second master's degree in clinical social work. Um, Her private practice, Southern Connecticut Anxiety, focuses on helping adults who are struggling with anxiety, OCD and maternal mental health. She is passionate about mental health advocacy and access to mental health for all. I think you'll find it's quite a wide-ranging conversation. Uh, We take in a lot of different topics, including uh, discussing about the similarities and differences between generalized anxiety disorder and OCD. We take a look at Shannon's uh, working definition of what OCD actually is. And Shannon is also a specialist in perinatal um, OCD and anxiety. So we take a look at that. What are some of the telltale signs? um, Why it's so problematic? And actually, um, you know, we look at the fact that this really does affect, you know, the the vast majority of uh, mothers when they when they do give birth. Often they do have this terrible anxiety afterwards. It's not exactly a rare thing. But it doesn't just affect the mothers, it also does affect the fathers. So it's a really interesting area. Uh, it's a fascinating conversation. Sh- Shannon's clearly somebody who's very passionate about her work, and uh, that really comes across in the conversation. So I really hope you enjoy. If you have any questions, as always, uh, do please let me know. And if you'd like to get in touch with Shannon, you can head over to her website, um, www.socoanxiety.com. That's S O C O anxiety.com. Many thanks and I hope you enjoy. Hi Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Hi Rob, thanks for having me. That's great to have you here. So to start off, could you just tell us a little a little bit about yourself please? Absolutely. So I am a licensed clinical social worker. I have a private practice in Connecticut. I specialize in working with adults who are struggling with OCD and anxiety. I also work with, um, I do a lot of work with maternal mental health. I'm from California originally, but I did graduate school in New York City. And so I just kind of hung out on the East Coast after and now I'm in Connecticut with my husband and our 17 month old son. Oh, wow. You've got a young son who's uh, okay. Fantastic. Great. Yeah. 
have a I have a COVID baby. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, has that been a challenge for you over the last kind of twelve months? I mean, we've all had our own challenges in one way or another, but I guess having a, a baby would be even more of a challenge during that time. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't know the difference because he was so young. He was only a couple months old when you know the whole world changed, mm. but. Uh, so I don't feel like he's missing out on a whole lot compared to maybe older kids, but uh, it absolutely gets frustrating because, you know, we can't take him places, can't go to the yeah. park or to the aquarium, you know, as I had imagined taking my toddler. Um, we don't have childcare yet. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm a full-time therapist, but I'm also a full-time mom at home. Yeah. So it definitely changes the dynamics, but um you know, I think, you know, we're hopeful. And to be honest, I honestly don't think that we have it as bad as maybe some other families do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's always somebody worse off than ourselves. And it's worth keeping yeah. that in mind sometimes, I think. Exactly, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. And I wanted to ask, you know, why, why did you decide to, to focus in on, on, you know, OCD and anxiety? I've always struggled with anxiety myself. I've always been a little bit of an anxious person. And so I think tackling my own anxiety was probably my gateway into the field. Mm. As far as OCD, it was kind of a happy accident where I was in undergrad uh, at UCLA and I had heard from a friend that uh, the OCD outpatient clinic was the only internship spot where you could get actual clinical work. And yeah. so I went for an internship there and I just ended up falling in love with it. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. I imagine it's very, uh, very rewarding having having been through the mill yourself and experienced that it kind of makes sense, you know, that you would want to kind of go into that area yourself, no? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I try and practice what I preach. You know, I I still struggle with anxiety, but the difference now is that when I feel anxious about doing something, I have the thought to myself, okay, well, is, mm. is this something that I want to do that I would do if anxiety weren't, you know, in my ear? And if the answer is yes, then I say, okay, well, then we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of that book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a really good kind of saying to remind yourself of sometimes. Um, Okay. And how would you say, you know, from your experience working with people and uh, obviously your clinical experience, how would you say that um, OCD differs from, um, say, generalized anxiety disorder? And, and what are the, the crossovers between the two? So I think that question is interesting. And I like that question because I think that a lot of clinicians also struggle to differentiate between the two. Yeah. Um, Personally, I don't know that they're so different. I think that in practice, the treatment is very similar. Um, with OCD, we obviously have obsessions and compulsions, and those compulsions are either mental or they're visible through behavior. Uh, with GAD, we have anxious thoughts, worries, doubts, and then it's usually followed by trying to some kind of analysis or trying to figure it out and make the thought go away, which mm. is another way of saying rumination, <laughs> which is, you know, as we know, rumination is also a compulsion. Yeah. So 
we might say that GAD is similar to um, what, what some people call Puro OCD. Um, that's kind of how I think about it. Um, I think as, as humans, we're kind of hardwired to, to want to put things into categories because yeah. it helps us understand our world, right? Yeah, definitely. But I think especially in the case of uh, with human beings, we're, we're messy, we're messy and we have, you know, more than a couple, more than one thing going on. And while some people might perfectly fit the diagnostic criteria of one thing, usually, you know, it's, it's a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. I, I think, um, you know, for me and my own personal experience, when I realized yeah, that I had OCD, then everything was a bit easier for a little while, you know, but just for a little while, when because I finally I had this kind of diagnosis, I understood, okay, the years that I've spent struggling with this, like, this is actually, you know, I have a, a diagnosis, here. I can understand what it is. Um, and I, I now know what I need to do to, you know, to improve it. But at yeah. the same time, the label, the labels can sometimes hold us back if we hold on to them too, too tightly. Absolutely. I think it's the balance. And, and I think it's, you know, again, it's a completely individual preference as well. I think that having the label can be really helpful for people who maybe have been struggling with OCD for years and haven't known what it is um, or haven't had the proper diagnosis. And so being able to have that label and then, you know, you can become a part of the OCD community, you know, online, there's a ton of support. And so feeling like you're a part of that and, you know, there's other people who feel the exact same way that you do can also be a powerful source of support. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Un, having that understanding, you know, that you're not alone, that there's other people out there who are struggling with similar things as you. Yeah, it's definitely really important. Okay. Yeah. And it's also very interesting to hear from, from, a, you know, from a therapist that, you know, that the two, you know, GAD and OCD do really link in together. There's a lot of crossover between the two. Yeah. yeah often, I mean, a lot of people, you know, have, have both experienced both or experienced both at some point in their, uh, in their journey, mm. um, you know, or it's very common to experience depression and generalized anxiety along with OCD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, uh, I, definitely from, you know, some of the people I work with, and from my own personal experience that something I noticed when I was really struggling with anxiety and OCD was that, you know, I stopped doing the things that were most important to me, my values. I stopped living my life by my values. And because, you know, because the anxiety became the center of everything. It's all I could focus on. Um, you know, the, the rumination, the, the trying to get rid of the anxiety and, uh, you know, obviously the, you know, the rumination, as you said earlier, is, is a compulsion. And so I stopped doing those things that give life mean, you know, give your life meaning, which are your values. And I think when that happens, it's, it's easy to, to start getting a bit depressed, even if you're not a depressive person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's such an important part of treatment as well is identifying your values and realizing what OCD and anxiety has taken away from you. Yeah. Um, the goal yeah. of treatment is never to get rid of your anxiety, 
right? We're never gonna be without anxiety. Um, we want it to stop informing our decisions, making our decisions for us. The, so one of the ways that I like to put it is, we're driving the bus. Anxiety, these thoughts can be sitting in the back of the bus screaming at us, but we're the ones in the driver's seat deciding where we wanna go. We don't wanna let our fears, our anxiety, our intrusive thoughts tell us how to live our lives day to day. Absolutely, yeah, it's a great analogy. I really like that. Yeah, brilliant. And um, if you were going to give a, a definition of OCD, how would you describe it? So I could get, you know, back to diagnostic criteria, I could give mm. you an answer like that, but that might be kind of boring. <laughs> I think <laughs> if you if you Google what is OCD, um, mm. something like a diagnostic criteria might come up, or if you're looking at a reputable website like uh, IOCDF's website, yeah, good working definition. Yeah. So I'll try and give you my my own description. Yeah, that would be um, great. So sometimes I like to think of OCD as um, this is also a common analogy is it's like having a, a broken fire alarm in your house. So the alarm goes off and your urge is to react. You're filled with adrenaline and fear and it's scary. So you run around, you're trying to put out the fire um, so that you can feel safe again. Yeah. The alarm keeps going off and off and over and over. Um, it makes you feel small, makes you question your worth and your values and your sense of self. I, th I think that's um, my description of what OCD is like. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. Yeah, that really makes sense. You know, this kind of faulty, faulty message that we get to say that something is terribly wrong when when actually it's not. And then, you know, often people tend to search for something to, to find something to, you know, for them to realize that they're that they're okay or you know and it's it's this process that actually keeps people you know stuck so yeah I, I really like that as well um okay I wanted to 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 focus on uh perinatal OCD and anxiety because I know that's um a big part of your of your work now I think most people have heard about um postpartum depression perhaps, you know, perhaps don't know so much about perinatal OCD and anxiety. Can you tell us a little, a little bit about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that it's great that there's been so much awareness over the past few years about um, postpartum depression, but I don't think there's been the same awareness for postpartum anxiety and OCD. I mm. think that there's somewhat of a toxic minimizing of anxiety for new moms yeah there's this line of thinking like well you're a mom now <laughs> of course you're going to worry the rest of your life you'd be better get used to it um or you know no sleep no rest constant worry it's just what it's like to be a mom and other parents and maybe even our own parents perpetuate this idea of constant worry, anxiety, exhaustion, and that's just how it is and to suck it up. Yeah. So when you're a new parent and you're hit with overwhelming anxiety, you might think that there's nothing you can do because that's just how it is. Or you find yourself having intrusive thoughts and, or scary or harm-related thoughts about your baby 
and you might feel scared and ashamed and think something's wrong with you. So you keep it to yourself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that despite how little we publicly talk about intrusive thoughts for new moms, I think the most recent statistic I saw was that 80% of new moms, and this isn't just moms with a history of OCD, this is 80% of all new mothers report experiencing unwanted, intrusive, scary thoughts involving harm to their infant. Wow. And yeah, it's, you know, that's almost everybody. Yeah. And so I think that talking more about perinatal anxiety and OCD can help these moms to see that they're not alone, that they're not crazy. They're not a danger to their baby by virtue of having these thoughts and that they don't have to just suck it up and deal with it, that we can manage OCD and anxiety with therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that message of suck it up and deal with it in general now is, is such a harmful message because, you know, so many people do take that on board and believe, you know, that they shouldn't be, be searching for, you know, for help with these kinds of things. And, you know, that's unfortunately is really holding people back and really stopping them from getting the help that really could have a huge impact on their, you know, on their lives and how they feel on a day to day basis. Um, I think when I was growing up, like we had this view um, of the of the states of people being perpetually in therapy, you know, like watching <laughs> like uh, American TV shows, it seemed like everybody was in therapy. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the British generally tend to have this quite stoic uh, approach where they're kind of like, no, I'm not going to complain about anything. I'm just going to get on. I'm going to grin and bear it. And, you know, for some commentary things, on, right? yeah, for some things in life, it can, that can be a helpful attitude, but when it comes to mental health, I don't think it is. And yeah. so, yeah, I think it's a really important uh, message, what you were saying there with that. Yeah. I mean, and we know, you know, the statistics about how long it, the average length of time it takes for someone who meets a clinical diagnosis for OCD to actually get a proper diagnosis and to get in treatment. It's, it's over 10 years. Mm. That's a really long time to be wondering if, you know, is something just wrong with me? Do I just yeah. have to suck it up? It's, yeah. it's yeah. too long. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of the typical obsessions uh, with perinatal OCD and anxiety? So we know with OCD that it usually attacks in the form of something that's important to us. Mm. And so what's more important than this tiny vulnerable human that you love so much? So as OCD would have it, the obsessions typically involve harm to the baby or inappropriate touch. So yeah. some common yeah. examples are a mom might be afraid um, of cooking in the kitchen and a knife slips. And so yeah. she will avoid being in the kitchen with her baby yeah. or dropping the baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she'll avoid picking up the baby. Yeah. Um, accidental poisoning, accidentally touching the baby when changing the diaper. Um, yeah. Very common is a fear of SIDS that the baby's going to stop breathing. Yeah. And so constant checking yeah. um, if the baby's breathing. Um, I do. I want to also note yeah. that okay. new dads can also develop these obsessions. Yeah. Um, it's not just moms. Yeah. And yeah. I think when the father develops this type of OCD, we usually just label it harm, harm OCD instead of perinatal. But yeah. these same obsessions do occur in men. It's not just women. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously for, for a lot of people, then it's, uh, you know, avoiding certain things, I guess. And um, obviously whenever we avoid something because of the anxiety it's giving us, we just reinforce that. And so we get more anxiety about it in the future. So it's really important that, that people seek out treatment for this kind of problem, no? Absolutely. Especially when you're avoiding your new baby. Mm. Um, that baby needs um, touch to be held, closeness. And when you're so terrified that you might hurt the baby, that you're avoiding being near your baby, it's not only horribly painful and traumatizing for you, but it's not great developmentally for the baby either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. That's really interesting that you're you're focused on on that area, and uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna put your um, your details in the show notes, and uh, you can also you know kind of uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you if they are struggling with you know with this type of OCD or or anxiety. It's really important to to get the right help for it. I think. Yeah, great. Um, okay, so I, I was having a look at your your Instagram the other day and I came across one post um, that said my best is good enough and uh, I thought this is really a really good one because obviously self-compassion is something uh, which isn't always necessarily talked about you know that much but is really important when it comes to mental health problems. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how we can go about building more self-compassion? Yeah I think we don't even realize how hard we are on ourselves. Mm. The way that we talk about ourselves, we would consider as absolutely unacceptable way to talk about probably anyone else in our life. Yeah. There's a misconception that in order to motivate ourselves, we have to give ourselves tough love. Um, that if we talk compassionately or forgivingly or empathetically to ourselves, that we're almost letting ourselves get away with something and not keeping ourselves accountable. And it's simply not true. And research actually backs that up. So I would encourage anyone who feels like they have to be hard on themselves to stay motivated to look up uh, Kristen Neff's research on self-compassion. She has a great TED talk on it too. Um, so your question was how to build more self-compassion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say first is just to create more awareness around the words that you're using for yourself. Mm. Um, instead of saying things like, geez, that was pretty stupid, wasn't it? Or you're so lame. I can't believe you just said that. Um, notice how you're talking to yourself and, and ask, is, could I have used more kind words? Mm. You know, instead of saying that was stupid, I could say, okay, so maybe that wasn't my best performance, but I was doing my best. Um, I think a simple strategy is ask yourself, what would your best friend say? Yeah. Um, how would your best friend talk to you in this moment? Yeah. Um, because you deserve to be treated the same way that you treat the people that you love. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a really important message as well. Good. Um, I also wanted to speak to you uh, about meditation and, and mindfulness because you know in in recent years uh you know these these uh these kinds of things have become very important to you know therapy with for, for anxiety and ocd so how how 
how can people start using meditation and and you know mindfulness and and how important do you think it is I think the importance depends on the individual. Hmm. Um, I think that some people find it more helpful than others. And so I encourage it more with some people than others. Yeah. Um, I tend to introduce mindfulness a lot in my practice. Sometimes people think mindfulness is trying to quiet the mind. And I always say, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not trying to quiet the mind at all. It's trying to redirect attention to the present. Hmm. So much anxiety is rooted in um, worrying about the future or things that happened in the past. And I think mindfulness is good practice to bring your attention back here to this moment because outside of right here, we truly can't control something that already was or something that might be. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as meditation, one thing that I that I really like is body scan meditations are you familiar yeah, with body scans absolutely yeah it's something i i use a lot as well myself with some of my clients and uh, yeah, yeah i, I love a good body scan <laughs> yeah yeah especially you know i encourage it if you know you're laying in bed and it's night and the lights are out and you're struggling to just get back into the present you're struggling to stay in your body you know because your brain's this way and that way I always encourage a good body scan. It's just, it's very um, mindful. It brings attention right to body sensations and it can be really relaxing. There's yeah. tons, if people don't know how to do a body scan, YouTube, there's, I feel like hundreds of mm. guided body scans on YouTube. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, certainly for me, I mean, I struggled a lot with uh, sensory motor OCD. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I found like the body scan particularly helpful because it's that ability of, of and that understanding that awareness that you can tune into, you know, different parts of the body and have that awareness and purposely bring your attention to it instead of constantly trying to push your attention away from it. Um, you know, and by doing that and, and having that ability to move that attention around from place to place to place, you're building that skill to be able to observe your anxiety and observe the different parts of your body and not be too concerned if, you know, if your attention does go to one place and maybe get stuck there, you know, it's okay. Absolutely. It will pass in time if you allow it. Yeah. I love that. And something else that you just reminded me is that I think bringing, even if you're not purposefully doing a full body scan, casually bringing attention throughout the day um, to different parts of your body that hold tension. Yep. Myself, I am constantly clenching my jaw. Mm. I'm constantly clenching my jaw and, and furrowing my brow when I'm yeah. stressed. Yeah. And so sometimes I, I realize, oh, my jaw's a little sore. <laughs> and I don't even notice that I have been, you know, clenching and holding tightness. And so I'll do a quick scan and purposefully or intentionally just relax muscles yeah 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 yeah. and it's also I think that having that sense that you can do that that you have that ability to to bring relaxation to yourself you know that that's quite an empowering feeling when you realize okay I can just do this for a few minutes and I can just allow my shoulders just to drop a little bit 
I can yeah. just relax my jaw a little bit, even if even if like five minutes later they're they're, they're tense again. Yeah. At least you had a break for a few minutes, and that's going to have you know an effect on the rest of your day. Yeah, and I you know, and I I would challenge people who say they, they don't they don't have time for mindfulness or meditation to say, okay, well while you're sitting on the subway or on the bus or sitting in your car or watching TV in the evenings or whatever it is that you're doing you can also relax your body. And mm. so it's not even like you have to set aside 30 minutes for, okay, I'm gonna meditate now or be mindful now. It's, you. I mean, you can do it for a minute while you're brushing your teeth. Yeah. Or two minutes recommended time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what do you think are some of, some, of the, um, some of the things that maybe put people off about mindfulness? Because I know it's not for everyone. You even, even said that yourself, you know, you encourage it in some people, but other people, you think, well, I'm just not going to push it with them. You know, what yeah. why do you think that might be? Well, I think that uh, for whatever reason, I think people sometimes come with this preconceived idea of what it is. And so mm. there's sometimes an unwillingness. Sometimes I think that, well, it's a skill doing practicing mindfulness is a skill. And so I think when people are struggling with it, when they're first starting out, they can feel frustrated and unmotivated to continue because they've been unsuccessful thus far. Mm. And so I always tell people when we're working on mindfulness, think of it as going to the gym, you know, if we're doing it once a week for 30 minutes, we're not going to get super buff if that's what we want. Um, so it's something that we have to practice continuously every day in order for it to come more naturally and for it yeah. to feel easier. Yeah. Um, because when you're used to having intrusive thoughts just coming at you and anxious thoughts, you know, flooding your brain, combating them with continuously bringing yourself back to the present can feel very, um, it's very hard and it's, um, and it can feel very arduous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It can be exhausting. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, now, if you, if you could only give one piece of, of advice, you know, from your experiences of working with people with OCD and anxiety, what would that one piece of advice be? Can I give three? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> three is definitely better than one, so. <laughs> so. I say three because I want to talk to different people. Yeah. So if you're already doing ERP work and you're seeing a therapist to keep at it, um, you're doing really hard stuff and you should be proud of yourself. You're doing amazing. Uh, if you're still struggling with OCD and anxiety without support, uh, I want you to know that there is hope. You don't have to keep feeling this way indefinitely. And OCD and anxiety are very treatable with CBT and ERP. Yeah. Um, and then I want to say to new moms out there who are having scary thoughts and wondering if they're a bad mom or feeling ashamed and afraid of telling someone what's going on. I want you to know that you're not alone. You're a great mom, that there's no better mom for your child than you. And that if you need help to please reach out and find an OCD or an anxiety specialist to help you. And I promise we don't think your thoughts are weird or too scary. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Great. And uh, yeah, I think that's some really important messages there. And um, if people want to get in touch with you to do some work with you, how can they how can they do that? So I have a website, my practice website is uh, socoanxiety.com. It's S-O-C-O anxiety. Um, and I also have an Instagram, um, which is the, my handle is the same. It's Soco Anxiety. Fantastic. Excellent. I'll also put that in the show notes so people can find it there if they, uh, if they didn't catch that. And uh, thank you so much for your time. You know, it's been wonderful talking to you. It's been great having you on. Thank you, Rob. It's been great chatting with you also. Please remember, if you are struggling with OCD and anxiety, you can get a free consultation uh, with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and uh, send me a message and we, we can sort that out. And if you like, you can also follow me on Instagram uh, at robertjamescoachinguk. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.